Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Um, last week, my family and I had the incredible privilege to be out of town. Uh, it, it's always good to travel. It's always good to see family, which is where we were. Uh, we got to go down to the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, which means we passed through Ohio to visit family. Well, Indiana, Ohio, Tennessee, or Kentucky, Tennessee, and then we finally made it to uh, North Carolina, to the beautiful Blue Ridge. And we got to spend some time with my side of the family. Um, our family's uh, unique in that we we literally have, like on my side of the family, we've got us and then Ohio and then Florida. So we're all kind of spaced out a little bit. And then my wife's side of the family, we've got, you know, us here in Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and Alaska. So we have a lot of like states uh, represented in our family. In fact, when Mark was talking about Billy and Erica coming and the beautiful snow outside, this will be not new to them because they've already had snow. Um, we, we got a text from my brother-in-law a couple weeks ago, and they had something like 10 feet of snow in a, in a nearby area. So friends, if you don't like snow, be grateful you don't live in Alaska and take with joy the inch and a half of wet snow that we have here today. Um, but it's good to be back. It's good to go out and to see amazing things and to spend time with amazing people in our lives. And we're going to look this morning at a story where Jesus is amazed. And let me just ask you, have you ever been amazed by something? Have you ever been amazed by something? I, I, I took this photo, I believe this photo was taken, from the top of one of the mountains that we were able to, to, to climb. We, we went to two high places. We went to the highest point on the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is like 6,023 feet or something like that. But then we, we went to a different place, and we were able to hike up about 1,500 feet of elevation and come to the top of this mountain. And you come to this top, and you look over the expanse of all these things that God has made, and you go... Wow. You're just in awe. And that's just the nature part, right? We stayed in a house with all of our family members. And so we had nephews and our niece was there and aunts and uncles and my parents were there. And we're just kind of in the middle of nowhere with the flight path of Asheville Airport right above us. So like every 20 minutes we're buzzed from a descending plane. It was kind of a fun reminder of the power of technology every 20 minutes. But, but we, we'd gather around and I'd be amazed because here are these kids that I don't see every day. I don't see every week. I sometimes see them once or twice a year. And my nephew in Florida goes from being a young kid to being a little bit older kid who is now winging a tennis ball in over home plate with a perfect strike. And I'm going, hang on a second. And I'm just like amazed to, to, to watch how these kids play together and get along and, and explore is just amazing to me. Jesus is amazed in this passage. And it's a different kind of amazement, but we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7. And it's another encounter that Jesus has with people. And I love it because he actually has an encounter with two different people. And all of this goes to underline who he is. Because he's revealing himself to people. He, he has come to, to act on their behalf. And we see this powerfully 
in this passage. In today's passage, we see Jesus amazed, not by talent, ability, by knowledge, or even nature, but by faith and trust in him, his authoritative word, and his compassion towards others. And so I invite you to stand with me as we read from the scripture, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 reads as follows. When he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion slave who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his slave. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation. and He has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be cured. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave or my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this, and he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith, even in Israel. When those who, who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Soon afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were gathering or traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said, don't cry. Then he came up and he touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother, and then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea in all the vicinity. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? When the men reached him, they, asked, or they, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John the things you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. These are the words of God. Father, we thank you for these words, and now we ask for your spirit to speak, to reveal truth to us, to help us walk out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. So we're going to focus on these first two stories, but that last part about John the Baptist will come up later in our teaching. 
Um, Our passage begins with Jesus entering the city of Capernaum after Luke records him spending significant time teaching the crowds and specifically his disciples on the Mount of Beatitudes. That happens a little bit earlier in Luke's gospel. Now, Capernaum was the central hub of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Based upon the size of the synagogue where Jesus is teaching, scholars believe that there was a large Jewish population that included Torah scholars and Pharisees. So this is a bustling place where Jesus is at. I've got a couple photos for you to see here. Here is um, the Mount of Beatitudes. So Jesus has been teaching here. He enters Capernaum. You can see where the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus teaches that. And then he goes over to Capernaum, which is right on the coast, over on the right-hand side of your screen. Um, Here we have another vantage point of Capernaum and the Mount of the Beatitudes as we're looking at it from the Sea of Galilee. And then finally, here's some of the remains of of homes in Capernaum. This is what they look like today. So Jesus has come to this place, and he comes to the synagogue. Here's a photo of the synagogue that Jesus was teaching in. This, is, this goes back to the first century. He's teaching in the synagogue, and as he teaches, as he teaches, um, he is approached approached by some of the Jewish elders. He, he concludes all these sayings, and, and there's people who come on behalf of the Jewish or, There's people who are Jewish elders who come on behalf of a person who is a centurion. Now, this area, you can kind of see from from these photos, is an area that is filled with people who primarily make their living from the economy of agriculture and fishing. It's located along this major trade route. It's a significant city in the region. And here we're introduced to a centurion. Now, a centurion is a man of great authority. Um, He commanded the respect of his people, and everyone in his midst obeyed him implicitly. For military veterans, by the way, happy Veterans Day. We're so grateful for you and for your service to our country. Thank you for that. For military veterans here today, he was the, thank you, go, yep, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. For our military veterans in the, in the crew, he was roughly the equivalent to a sergeant major in the army, which basically means when he says to stand up, you reply, how high should I jump on your way up? You obey him implicitly. This is a man who understands the chain of command, who understands authority to its highest degree. He understands that if he says something, it will be done. He's a man who has power and authority. And being that, he could have come to Jesus himself, right? He, he could have done that because no one's going to look at a centurion and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Centurion, you're not allowed to approach a Jewish rabbi. They wouldn't have done that because that's not really good to to mess with Rome like that. Um, When he commanded, you jumped, you went, and centurions, generally speaking, were not known for their kindness. They were known for keeping order. They were known for keeping a tight, tight rein on things. But we know a couple of other things about this particular centurion. We know, for example, that he was a Gentile. We have no indication in the text that he is a follower of Jesus. It's likely that he was not a proselyte to Judaism. And yet, 
despite all of this, we also know some like character things about him. He is a man who understands compassion. He, he understands compassion. Verse 2 tells us that a centurion's slave who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. Now, if you are in command of a hundred or so people and you are the one in charge, typically speaking in the Roman world, you would, you would not care if one of your slaves is sick. What you would do is if they get sick, if they die, you just go get another slave. It was easy to just replace. But here is a centurion who cares about the people under his command. People under his household. Slaves in that time were considered to be no more than human implements to be used toward a specific end. But this centurion acts differently. It would have been socially acceptable for him to let the servant die, to replace him with a new slave, but he doesn't do this. Instead, he finds him of considerable worth and value. And just think about this contrast. A man of great power who finds someone whom by all accounts is completely unexpendable. He looks at him and he goes, he matters to me. Friends, that's compassion. That's compassion. When you don't have to do something and still you show that person inherent worth and dignity because they are a person. Friends, that is compassion. He understands this. He doesn't have to walk this way, but he does. So we know that the centurion is compassionate. We also know that he cares for and he respects the Jewish people and their customs. He doesn't have to do this. But even though he's a person of importance, he is being sensitive to Jesus' Jewish culture. And he sends Jewish representatives to ask, not demand Jesus to come. Additionally, Luke records that the Jewish elders esteem him as worthy because he built their synagogue and they plead for Jesus to come. So, so his credibility is even on the charts with the Jewish elders. They go, he is someone who is worthy, Jesus, for you to do this because look at what he has done for us. So he's compassionate. He cares for and respects the Jewish people and their customs. But notice what verse 3 says. It says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his slave. Requesting. He, he sent Jewish people to Jesus. But it says, when the centurion heard about Jesus. What do you think the centurion had heard? You know, he's, he's walking around in Capernaum. He, he knows the streets of the town and the homes he knows the synagogue. He knows what's going on in these places. But throughout this whole area of the Galilee, he has heard about this teacher. What do you think he heard? Who do you think he heard it from? Jesus' ministry within Capernaum begins in chapter 4 of Luke's gospel. And from that time until this present text, Jesus has engaged in these things. Chapter 4 says that Jesus was teaching authoritatively. Um, chapter 4 also says that he drove out an unclean spirit from someone. All right, that, that would get your attention. Um, chapter 4 also says, chapter 4 is a big chapter, um, that he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. All right, so, so here's a person who had a fever and Jesus came and he healed her. 
We find in chapter 5 that there's skin diseases that are healed. We find later in chapter 5 that there's a paralytic who comes to Jesus because he's got a couple, a group of friends who drop him into a house from the roof. And as he comes down, Jesus heals him in that encounter. I, I think this centurion has seen, wait a second, this Jesus is not just a teacher. He's someone who is teaching with authority, not like the other teachers of the law. He, he's someone who has power over unclean spirits, who has power over sickness and disease, and even can make the lame person walk. Why do you think this centurion would ask Jesus to come heal his slave? What do you think he expected? Now, it's interesting because um, the elders of these Jewish elders come to Jesus and they say, will you come and heal this? He is worthy because he loves our nation. He has built us a synagogue, this synagogue right here. Um, and Jesus responds by heading toward the house to meet the centurion. Uh, on the way that Jesus goes, though, we find two more things out about the centurion. The first one's this. He's a humble person. He's a humble person. While you have Jewish elders saying, Jesus, this man is worthy. Look at all these things he has done for us. Look at how he has treated us. Before Jesus arrives at the house, the centurion sends some other friends to Jesus to tell him, don't come under my roof because I'm not worthy to have you come visit me. Here's a centurion with all this power, all this prestige. He could have said, I am the man in charge in all of here. You come, you come. I'm not going to come to you. Here he sends people to Jesus. Jesus starts coming. He says, Jesus, you don't need to come. He doesn't want to offend him in any way. He does not want him to become ritually unclean in any way, according to the culture. He believes that he is unworthy of a visit from Jesus and the word here means that he sees himself as not being qualified for a visit from Jesus because he doesn't meet the standard required to see Jesus face to face. So, so there's an interesting contrast here between these Jewish elders and how he sees himself. They commend his love and his work, but they're not bargaining chips to the centurion. He doesn't say, look at everything I am. Jesus, you must do what I ask you to. While he's a man of importance, he doesn't bring his qualifications, he doesn't bring his experience or his authority to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you act on my behalf? And that right there is a little bit convicting for me because sometimes I can say, but Jesus, I have done this for you. Won't you do this for me, right? I come to Jesus and I assign myself perhaps greater value than I should. I, I think of myself, as the scripture says, more highly than I ought, and think that because maybe I did something, or maybe I didn't do something, that I'm deserving of God's mercy. But here, a centurion brings his unworthiness. He says, Jesus, I'm not, I'm, I'm not worthy to have you come in my house. All I ask is for my servant to be healed. So he's a humble guy, but he also is a guy who trusts Jesus, all right? He, he's publicly saying, Jesus, I believe that at your word, it's enough. You don't have to come and lay a hand. You don't have to come and do anything. I believe, he says, Jesus, that 
I'm a man placed under authority. Say the word and my servant will be cured. That takes a little bit of chutzpah to say, right? To, to, to say, Jesus, if you say this, it will be done. I trust your word. If, if you say that, Jesus, it will be done. And here's why he says it. He understands that Jesus is a man with authority. And he says in verse 8, For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, he goes. To another, come, he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Do this, and he does it. He trusts Jesus. He trusts Jesus' word. In, in, asking not, in asking Jesus to not come into his home, he communicates through his friends his belief that Jesus' word is sufficient to bring healing to his servant. He understands authority. He knows that if Jesus says it, it will have it. It will happen. And in doing so, he exhibits faith in Jesus' compassion and authority without meeting him or without seeing anything with his own eyes. Now, it's amazing because up until this point, Jesus has remained verbally silent in the text. But in verse 9, we see Jesus' response. Verse 9 says this. Jesus says, Turning to the crowd following him, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. What amazes Jesus it is not what this man might or might not have done. It's not how he treated people. That, that, that matters. What, what amazes Jesus is that this person is so willing to put everything on the line that Jesus, if you have said it, I will trust you. Imagine our prayer lives just for a moment right here. We, 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 we come to God and in the disciples' prayer it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I love that prayer because it acknowledges God as our Father, but then it also acknowledges, God, I want your kingdom to be what my heart yearns for and longs for. I think sometimes we ask God for things, and we, we think, God, of course you're going to do this. But there are certain things that God answers right away and he says, yes, I'm going to do that. There are certain things that we ask that God knows are not in keeping with his word, right? There, there are certain things that we ask and the answer is not, I'm going to meet that right now. But the answer is, I'm going to meet that in the perfect timing for you. Yeah, I don't know what the centurion expected. I don't know if he expected right this minute or, or if he said, you know, I'm going to leave this in Jesus' hands today. Jesus if it's pleasing to you, at your word, I know my servant will be healed. I think he's requesting, God, would, Jesus, would you do this? But he's trusting that if Jesus does this, it will be done. And this amazes Jesus. And what's amazing about the word amazed here is that there's two instances in the Gospels where Jesus is amazed. Here, and another one in Mark chapter 6. And in Mark 6, Jesus is in Nazareth in his hometown Jewish crowd because he grew up in Nazareth. And so he's gathered around with a bunch of people who probably know him. And they witness his ministry up close. And they couldn't believe, even though they saw all these things that Jesus was doing, that Jesus was who he really said he was. And here it says that Jesus was amazed 
at the people in Nazareth, the Jewish people in Nazareth, at their unbelief. There's twice in Scripture where Jesus is amazed. Once at his Jewish people who don't believe everything they see him do. And another from a Gentile centurion who says, look, Jesus, if you do, if you say the word, it will happen. I trust you. Jesus commends the faith or the trust of the Gentile centurion as he demonstrates this by bringing healing to the centurion slave we find in verse 10. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So Jesus meets a centurion and is amazed by his faith. Jesus also meets a woman. Next in the text, we meet a wholly different person, place, and circumstance. Verse 11 says, Soon afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples in a large crowd were traveling with him. So Jesus leaves Capernaum, and he's going with an entourage of disciples, an inquisitive people, people going, who really is this person? They're trying to figure this out. And Jesus leaves, and they, they travel southwest to a town called Nain, and this is going to become significant in a moment. But the text says here in verse 12, just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. So this is a funeral procession. This is a funeral procession. And in that time and age, um, people, if there, was a, if there was a loss in the family, if someone died, you would have community and family gathered around to celebrate, or not to celebrate, but to mourn with the family. We're at a place called Nain. Uh, Nain is on the side of a hill, the hill of Moreh. So Jesus is over here, a little bit southwest of where he has been before. And um, he's stopped by a funeral procession. So the first one, we have a centurion who sends elders to Jesus. Here we have Jesus walking along and he sees one of the most difficult days in this woman's life. He, he, he comes up to this funeral procession. And, and he wasn't just pulled off on the side waiting for the, the row of cars to go by with the motorcycle police officer in the front and, and in back. He was right there looking at what is going on in this most difficult day in her life. In our day, um, we're oftentimes removed from this process um, because of distance and because of travel, because of the great service that funeral homes provide. But, but death is a solemn and often sudden, oftentimes sudden event. This woman likely woke up this day to great sorrow because Jewish burials happened quickly to avoid ceremonial uncleanness. And she'd walked this path before. We're told that this woman is a widow. And so she is walking this path alone. She, she doesn't have her husband to walk alongside her as, as they walk her son's body out to the burial place. Not, not just in this moment, she is now walking alone. She's uncertain of what the future holds for her. She's a widow. You know, she, she has no one to provide for her. She has no one to care for her in her older age, which is how things would have happened in that time. And she proceeds along with many from the village here to take her only son for his burial. I've experienced many funerals in, in my years. Um, but by far the most difficult are the ones when you look at the situation and there's just not a lot of hope. When, when there's not the hope of the resurrection, there's not the hope of life eternal. 
And, and you look at those and you step into those and, and with compassion, you want to love them with the love of Christ because that's what you can do. You can point them to the hope for those who are there. You can point them to the hope that we have in Jesus. That, that, that to, be, um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord is something we remind people of because it's such a great hope. It admits grief. Here, this woman is experiencing a really difficult day. She's stripped of all who would care for her and take responsibility for her. She's now left to exist on her own. There's no social security, no food bank, no shelter when she came home. But along comes Jesus. And it may be easy to have pity on someone like this, but the text does not say that Jesus had pity on her. It says that he had compassion. It says that he had compassion. Here's a scene of Nain, the gate. Here's a funeral procession carrying the body out to where they're about to place it. Jesus meets this funeral procession. And the text says he has compassion. Compassion is more than pity. Compassion goes beyond religious feeling and cares for someone regardless of their background, experience, or circumstance. Now, it's interesting, the, the word compassion is the same word that's used to describe the attitude that the Samaritan had towards the Jewish man who was robbed and left for dead by the priest and the Levite, right? So Jesus tells the story about a Jewish man who's robbed, he's left for dead, and the, the priest goes by, the Levite goes by, but along comes a Samaritan and he has compassion, which means he actually picks him up. He carries him. He bandages his wounds. He cares for him in his moment of hurt, in his moment of pain and struggle. It's also the word that's used to describe the attitude of the father in the story of the father with two lost sons. We looked at it a couple weeks ago, who sees his prodigal son from afar and he throws off all cultural expectations. He runs and he greets his boy with open arms. Compassion is this. It is the practical outworking of how we love our neighbor. It's the practical outworking of how we love our neighbor. Compassion is not a feeling. It is an action by which you go on behalf of God to someone else to meet them with the hope and the mercy and the smile and the food and whatever it is they need in that moment, regardless of whether you think they deserve it. Jesus stops this procession and he says to the woman, do not weep. Imagine you're in a procession like this. It's one of the two worst days of your life. And this man comes up to you and he says, do not weep. She didn't ask him to stop. She may not even know who he, who he is. She, she didn't request anything from him. But there's a man here who says, stop your weeping. Now, normally, that would be considered um, cold, heartless, because weeping is a part of this grieving process. But Jesus is about to do something to radically transform this woman's present-day existence. Jesus met her where she was. She expected nothing, and Jesus broke many cultural barriers to ritual purity so that he could elevate her with compassion. It says in the text, let me read it here. Then he came up and he touched the open coffin. He initiates contact, ritually defiling himself 
You know, he'd have to go through a whole purity thing after this. He touches it. The pallbearer stopped and he speaks to this man. And he says, young man, I tell you, get up. Here's a man who has done all these amazing things and he comes along to this woman and he speaks to her deceased son and he says, get up. What would your response be? Yeah, you'd get up? <laughs> yeah, if you're the man, I hope you'd get up, right? He, he brings this boy back to life. What would your response be if you're all these people gathered around and you're looking on this? You're going, what on earth just happened before my eyes? We're taking this boy to be buried and now he is breathing again. Excitement, bewilderment, amazement. It says here in the text, verse 16, it says, then fear or awe came over everyone and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. The report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. I mentioned earlier that, um, that this happened in a very specific location. And, and when they say a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people, what you need to know is, do I have it here? Yeah. Uh, here on the left-hand side in yellow is the city of Nain. This is where Jesus stops. We have the hill of Moreh in between. And we have Shunem on the right side of your screen. Now, Shunem is a very important place where something very important happened. It goes back to uh, the book of 2 Kings in a man called Elisha. And Elisha, in that story, go back and check it out. Start reading 2 Kings, you'll find it. Um, Elisha, in that story... He raises the Shunammites' only son from the dead. When you would live in this place, you knew what happened in Shunam. They, they, they knew the sense of history. Like, yeah, Shunam, that's the place where that woman's son was raised to life by the prophet Elijah. And here they are, a little more than a stone's throw or two, away from Shunam. And here's another man who comes along and he raises a boy of a widow to life. So when the crowd says, a great prophet has risen amongst us, they're going, Elisha, ding, ding, ding. They're going, there is someone here who's kind of like Elisha before. And they praise God and they hail Jesus as a prophet. They also um, saw this work that Jesus performs. And, and they praise God because only God raises the dead. Yet, yet there still seems to be a bit of confusion about who really is this man right? He, he comes and he does this, but is he a prophet like Elisha acting on behalf of God, or is he someone else? And this is what John essentially asks. John hears of all these things from his disciples, and he takes two of his disciples, he sends them to Jesus, and he says, are you the one who is to come? Meaning, are you the Messiah? He wants to confirm. And John's, John's writing this from not a great place. Like, he's writing it from prison. And he says, hey, are, are you the one that we should look for? Is there someone else? And Jesus responds to him. And he says, go and, to re and report to John the things you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with skin diseases are healed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor told the good news. Anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. And he ties his work here 
to the work of the Messiah. Jesus goes from being amazed that this Gentile centurion would have the faith to see him for who he is. He goes and acts on his behalf. And then he goes and he walks and he acts on this woman's behalf. She doesn't request it, but Jesus, out of compassion for her, he heals her boy. All these things are to bring healing and hope, of course, to the people, but even more so for him to proclaim, I am the Messiah. You can trust me for all things. I want to invite our worship team to come up. But as they do that, there's just some important things to remember here. Number one is this. Jesus has complete power and authority over the grave. Amen? Amen? I get to be involved with a funeral later this afternoon and to celebrate the life of someone. Guess what we preach at funerals? Jesus has authority over the grave. Amen? That transcends today, but it also affects today. Faith is something that trusts God's goodness and mercy despite our own unworthiness. See, the centurion is someone who recognizes his unworthiness before God because all of us are unworthy before God were it not for God giving us our identity. We would be in a hopeless walk and path of life. And some of us here today, we struggle with, who am I? This is who you are. You are a person made in the image of God. And if you are a person who has accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You are a child of God. You're a child of the King. You and I are called to walk in keeping with that. I love this too. God often works behind the scenes. He often engages with people of different nationalities, genders, and statuses to say, you matter because I made you. There are people in our lives today who we assign value for different things. Maybe it's their political party. Maybe it's their past. Maybe it is something that they're walking through right now. Friends, Let's look at people with the eyes of Jesus, eyes that have compassion. Jesus models this in such a beautiful way, and he does so for the glory of God, his Father. And he does so because it's the only place we can really find wholeness and healing and joy. Where do you need to trust God's power, his truth, and his authority in your life today? Where do you need to come to Jesus and say, God, I, I know in and of myself I'm unworthy, but God, you have made me worthy, and so I come as your child. Where's that in your life? Maybe you come today and you are not a child of God, meaning you have not trusted Jesus' death and resurrection to cover all of your sin and all of your past that's the invitation to you today. Come, person made in the image of God, and become child of the king. How does God want you to love, then, the people whom he has placed in your midst? Our Father and our King, we pause right now just to be reminded, God, that we are made in your image, all your 
creation, men and women are people made in the image of God. And God, we want to remember that as we go out into a crazy world where it's easier to insult someone or to demean someone sometimes than it is to build them up in love, especially when we disagree. God, we want to have our minds renewed today that we might know those of us who are followers of Jesus, who, who have come into relationship with you by trusting in your work, by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. God, we want to trust this morning that we are who you say we are. God, some of us walk in guilt and in shame over things we have said and we have done. And for those things, God, we, we just say we are sorry. But God, we come knowing that's not the end of the story. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the, whole, the, behold, the old has gone and the new has come. And God, we want to walk in that identity today. We want that identity to lead the way in how we treat one another, how we speak to one another. God, even how we treat and speak to ourselves, we want to be reminded that your compassion has extended to us and we are found worthy in your eyes because of Jesus. Thank you, our Father and our King. In this moment, would you just pray to God and take a moment to be honest with him to confess to him if you need to and to remind yourself of who you are in Christ thanks for listening we hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith if you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.